Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Welcome to Ranks FC, it's your favourite football podcast, back for another week and back on our hype train. It's just a two-man show to begin with today. Dean has eloped to California, so it's just myself, Jack Collins, and the rank god, Mr. Sam Tyber. We do, Sam, have a very special returning guest for our main segment. We do indeed, yeah. We're welcoming Harry Brooks, friend of the pod, uh, times three. Uh, into the main section for a little ranking he's put together. You can always rely on Harry for a few contrarian views, which are well thought through and very interesting. Good food for thought. We at Ranks FC, we, we condone and in fact um, encourage Indoors, a, yeah. a critical line of thinking on all things football. And we continue that trend today. But first, we've got a few things to get through. Yeah, well, we've got a few things that we love this week and you're going to start us off. Yeah, mine's pretty simple at the moment. It's the under-19 European Championships. Now, obviously... Most of you will know that I love a bit of youth football and love the fact that you can track some of the next breakthrough stars coming through these kind of competitions and and international tournaments are really the best way to catch so many different names. It means you don't have to go and watch all the sets of different club football uh, at youth level at under 19s and things like that. You can get the very best come together for their nations and it's an amazing way. It's a good way to spread your net and make sure that you are watching a huge collection of the game's best young players. So at the moment, the under-19 Euros as well kicks off at the weekend and Tuesday and Wednesday. So by the time you're listening to this, they'll be halfway through match day two. France look very, very good. Can you believe it, Jack? France, France's youth team? No, it seems, Couldn- seems unlikely. Unbelievable. England also look very good, thankfully. And Italy uh, have actually lost two or three really important players, but they still managed to step up and provide some quality. Uh, and shout out Israel as well for a nice little performance that, I, well, ignorant old me didn't see coming. But uh, under 19 euros, free to watch on UEFA.tv. Um, in your respective countries, you might have your own nation's games broadcast live on on television. On England or on the BBC here, um, but the rest of them are on live and, and free on UEFA's television channel. So anybody in the world can watch it. They're at pretty friendly times, and with basically nothing going on in the football world right now except for MLS, K League, and J League, this might be the thing Hang on, that scratches. Uh, no, there's the, the greatest league in the world, the League of Ireland, um, as well, is also going on. So. With nothing going on other than the J-League, the K-League and MLS, this might be the thing that scratches your football itch. Don't worry about the League of Ireland. Um, well, you're, you're the ones missing out uh, if you're not watching the greatest league in the world. But yeah, no, it's been uh, really interesting, Sam. And some some play. I think the thing about watching you know games like this is you're, you're seeing the stars of the future born in, in, in so many ways and seeing some standout names. We discussed a few of them uh, on our Patreon episodes on Monday. Episodes, you will note there. We, Sam and I were let off the leash because Dean wasn't there um, tapping his watch to tell us that we're running over. Uh, and instead, we did two hours of chatting about everything from the under-19 euros through every transfer in the world. So um, if you're not on Patreon, you fancy more content and more football stuff to keep you ticking through the summer, then please do come and join us. Uh, The link is in the description to this podcast. Uh, My thing I love that I'm going to change pace slightly is that PSG are looking to appoint 
Christophe Galtier. Now, I don't necessarily love this because I think it's going to definitely 100% work, um, but I do like it because it's a real change of pace um, from PSG. Yeah. Now, someone told me yesterday that if they do acquire Galtier, it looks like they, they're going to have to pay a 10 million fee. We talked a bit about managerial fees um, and transfer fees for managers the other day. They paid 10 million euros uh, to Nice to get Galtier out of that job, which is pretty hefty sum for a, mm. a manager um but it would be psg's first acquisition from within Liga since 2017 when they picked up a certain Kylian mbappe oh, um, wow. which i think is a really intriguing one um as, at least at senior level um so so yeah that was a, a kind of food for thought but i mean what it does suggest sam and what i do like is it suggests that PSG are going to try and coach defense next year as opposed <laughs> to just letting everybody run riot up top. And that, for me, is intriguing. Now, it's not a, a, a lock stock because I think that it's going to be interesting to see how Galtier manages the personalities that are within this PSG dressing room. Um, he's never really had that many superstar names in his teams. Now, he's done brilliantly, obviously, won the league with Lille, not last season, the season before, um, so much so that Nice picked him up and he started to put something together. I don't think it went quite to plan uh, for Nice this season, but there was definitely some improvement in terms of how, how they looked and that project felt like it was moving in the right direction, I think, towards the end. Um, but this would be, yeah, a change of pace and and look maybe an, a, a kind of response to the PSG fans who seem to have got fed up with the kind of multinational project and and wanted something a little bit closer to home that they could feel that they were in t- in touch and in tune with and perhaps the board are listening because this appears to be Luis Campos's first real you know genuine statement of intent as sporting director. Man, trying to keep up with PSG news this summer has been one of the most intimidating. Keeping up with the Parisians. Oh, mate, it's uh, it really it really is. That's a great name for it. It really could be a TV show. It's been I've been drowning in rumors for PSG. I'm following a couple of Twitter accounts that sort of parrot different journalists and different updates, and it's just been relentless, hasn't it? And one of the things I saw yesterday was that obviously this is very much. Um, Luis Campos is is his, his design. He is now in charge of the football operations at PSG. He's trying to shape it. Um, not only is he looking to appoint Gaultier, he's trying to sign you know Vitinha. He's seemingly trying to sign Milan Skriniar from Inter. And there was a suggestion yesterday that they're looking to move to a three-five-two, which obviously then gets the best out of Hakimi and Nuno Menja's wing backs. It would make room for the three centre backs they have already: Kimpembe, Marquinhos, and Sergio Ramos. Remember him. Um, also would make Skriniar no. make a bit more uh, sense as well, would balance out the midfield. It would, however, only leave room for two of Messi, Neymar and Mbappe, which doesn't make sense at all, unless, of course, Galtier is willing to just go tell one of them every week, you're not playing this week because the balance of the team is more important. So it's incredibly intriguing and I'm not surprised you love it. Yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting one to to see how things pan out there, but I, I think it's I think it's going to be in, it's going to be intriguing to see how he kind of plays this out and if it does come to fruition, how this team looks when it comes to August. So yeah, want to just keep an eye on there, Garcia to PSG. Not a done deal yet, but it does look like it's edging closer to completion. Um, right after the break, we are going to be bringing in our friend Harry to talk about some contrarian takes this summer, uh, mostly about the Premier League. To to be fair. But it's going to be an interesting one to see what Harry has to say about some of the moves and some of the maybe storylines that have gone unheralded as everyone gets very excited for a new season.
Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast for our main ranking and we are delighted to welcome back, become the most ever appeared guest here on Ranks FC slash BR Football Ranks, our old friend Mr. Harry Brooks of the Create Talent Agency, football coach, Twitter extraordinaire I would say these <laughs> days Harry, you uh, have a, it's a unique ability on, on Twitter to, to somehow wind up everybody and nobody at the same time and I'm, I'm here for it to be honest so we thought we'd see if we could take that into an actual ranking but first and foremost it's great to have you back mate yeah no cheers mate thanks for the invite I'm always free for you guys uh, you guys have told Dean that this is now the, the, the normal schedule right that he's out <laughs> of here and that I've, I've taken his place yeah. that's the you confirmed that yeah or is he going to find out now yes yeah, it's, it's, he's going to find out now but it is locked in so oh, it's, oh, it's, good, it's, it's all good. good it's all good so we're going to talk about next season Harry and, and this transfer window kind of by proxy um, and talk about some of the you know ideas that maybe aren't the most popular mainstream theories being thrown around right now but you think you know our, our, our genuine shouts for next season? I mean, yeah, I promise. I know I seem to have this habit of coming onto your guys' uh, shows and winding up a few different fan bases. I promise that's not the intention. It's just saying how I see it, um, which some people don't seem to like because apparently you need to have some kind of narrative or agenda now. Uh, otherwise, uh, you're clueless and all that stuff. So, yeah, uh, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. I think I think the opinions are, are, are pretty normal if you think about it. But um, obviously, uh, I guess we'll see the feedback, won't we? Yeah, <laughs> we'll I mean, critique look, as we go, won't we? Look, I mean, we wouldn't let Harry on if he was cuckoo, right? I mean, he would just... <laughs> uh, I mean, you've let me on for about 400 yeah. shows, so yeah. I'm not sure that's the bar or the barrier <laughs> that we're letting down here. Um, let's get into it, though, shall we? Let's get into these. You've got three, let's say, uh, let's say hot takes, Harry. Um, so to throw back to an old school variant on this podcast, three hot takes for us about next season and the window so far. Yeah, so uh, number three is... Um, the squad that Arteta and Arsenal are trying to build, it, in terms of stylistic profiles, it's very, very reminiscent of uh, Manchester City in terms of the style of play. Like I said, the profile of players, um, which, of course, uh, has its benefits. It gets lots of uh, plaudits. Um, but in my opinion, that's a very dangerous road to go down, depending on what the long-term goal is to achieve. So... If the long-term goal is to achieve, um, you know, accept being a club that uh, challenges for the top four, okay, fine. You know, we saw last season, they they can do that. I mean, some of the big clubs had a big drop-off. So if they were performing to the levels that were expected, I don't know how much of a challenge that would have been. But, you know, that is what it is. Um, if it's to become a consistent top four team, I'm not sure. And if it's to become a team that can, you know, challenge for the title and win the league, I don't think following the Man City blueprint is something that an Arsenal can realistically look to to follow because of a few number of reasons, which I guess if you want me to get into now, I guess I, yeah, I can get great. into. Well, why is this? Because obviously fans on Twitter are really excited by the City Light blueprint. I'll be perfectly honest, I'm really excited by it. So I'm quite, <laughs> I'm quite happy to hear this, Harry. Well, let's let's try and break it down. So let's imagine that we're, we're a footballer, right? And, and we're playing in the Premier League. Now, playing any level of professional football is incredibly difficult. It's an incredible achievement. You know, League Two, National League, anything, let alone the Premier League, okay? Um, the, the, the greatest league in the world at the moment um, in terms of, um, you know, the attraction and, and, and the level of talent and players and clubs. Um, so it's very difficult to play in the Premier League. Now, if you are a team that's set up to be quite methodical, in your build-up, quite patient at times, try to work and create a, um, a clear opening um, through your patterns of play. Uh, what are the other teams going to do to try and counter that? Uh, quite often, they're going to 
sort of sit back, maybe uh, close up the pitch and um, force you to play, you know, slow, staggered passes and possession. That's really difficult to break down. To know what's coming, for a team to know what you're going to try to do, to then be able to counter that, you have to be so goddamn good. So if you look at Manchester City, right, every team that plays against them, they know what they're going to do. We can all picture the Man City goal on our head. Of course, there's variation, but you can generally picture of that there's maybe an overload in the sort of wide areas. It kind of gets slipped in the ball, eventually gets slipped in between the opposition centre-back and full-back, a cut-back and a, and a tap-in. You know, the teams know that's going to come, but one thing stopping top-tier players doing that is another question. And because Man City have a raft of top-tier players, they're able to do that. And that's just talking from a, a player ability point of view. That's not even talking about the mindset, the mentality. You know, we looked at the, the game last year versus Newcastle. Now, there was nothing tactical about that. That was purely a team, a young team that would, I don't want to use the phrase bottle job, but they were, they, they were nervous. You could see they were. They were kind of half pressing. They were nervous of the, of the consequences and they didn't play themselves. So they're trying to play an elite level style of football without signing elite level players now I think Rafinha probably fits into that elite level category that a Man City could sign um, but the rest very good players but are they going to be the ones that can play against those sides that are sitting back or even if they try to press them can manoeuvre around it when it's we know what you're going to try and do you're asking to find the, the finest like lock picks the finest tunes it has to be the highest quality to get away with that you know you're, you're trying to create spaces that aren't there you have to be so good to do that. And at the moment, I'll say Rafinha is, but have Arsenal got a squad and a team that are capable of doing that consistently, not including the fact they're going to have Europe next year as a, a, a you know, four more games. So the squad depth is going to be tested, not including the fact that, you know, Liverpool and Man City are still at, near the top, or at the top, sorry. Um, Spurs are probably going to be better. May United will have some kind of improvement. Chelsea, let's see. So it's going to be very even harder next year. So it's just more a situation where, if they're looking to build a team and a squad that can compete in the Champions League or for the Champions League, fine. But if it's a, the end term goal is to eventually get, you know, become a title challenger, I think it's going to be a long time until we see that. And it's going to be, you know, you're going to have to really change the market of players that you're trying to sign. Is there kind of element of that in staggered steps, Harry? Because, you know, obviously you have, as you say, Arsenal are not going to jump from being a team that is trying to break back into the top four to suddenly being a title challenger straight away. It's an almost impossible task, right? Unless you have unlimited resources. Um, the last side I can remember doing it, Conte's Chelsea, um, who didn't have Champions League football and then were able to jump right to the top via the fact that they completely changed systems. And that's fine. But is there an element of Arsenal where they're going, right, if we bring in you know the likes of Fabio Vieira, Martin Odegaard, these kind of players who are probably just below that top tier, as you say, you know, they are excellent footballers, you know, but probably not world class at this exact moment. They're they're on the up, if you will. That one, that mentality grows through those players as you continue to let them develop and give them those like consistent minutes in the Premier League. Um, but two, you know, if those players continue to develop, can you then start to in increase your attraction of other players because they're going, I would like to play with a Martin Erdegaard and, uh, you know, Sam and I are both quite hot on Fabio Vieira. We think he's going to be excellent. It's a, it's a little bit of a risky move. I think no one's going to deny that. But there's an element of if he does explode, there's a chance that he goes on and becomes really top tier. Is that how you then slowly sort of you know increase your attraction level to other elite level players? Uh, 
Yes and no. I mean, of course you can do, and I guess it depends on how long the board. It seems to be they're willing to play the long game with Arsenal, with Arteta, obviously. But he has been there. What's this now? Is he going to go into his fourth season? You know, I think that's... third full season, I think, maybe fourth right. season. You know, and hasn't qualified for the Champions League yet. Um, if you look at um, you know Klopp, he joined Liverpool in a bigger mess, and he got them into Champions League and then Champions League final and then title challenge already by now. Um, in fact, I think they probably even won the Champions League by now in his tenure, or at least been to the final. Uh, Pochettino Spurs, um, you know, didn't get Champions League first season. Season after they did. So, uh, how long are you willing to give it? And then not only that, for some reason, people seem to think that, that that automatically being a year older, automatically being more experienced, means that you are going to become more experienced in terms of your character. Not necessarily so. Who's to say that you're better from a year? There's no Arsenal players don't really have too many players right now. The likes of Saka and Odegaard to look at above them and and help them through it. Um, and if it does take longer, let's say it takes another two years to even qualify for the Champions League, how long is Saka going to be happy with that? So then he has to go, and now you're re- trying to recover that. Are you going to sign someone as good? Yeah, I mean that does that it does become a bit of a spiral there, doesn't it? You you end up chasing your own tail um, because you're trying to build the rest of your squad out to the level at which Saka and Marzen Odegaard kind of operate at, and then you might lose one of the players because the squad isn't quite up to the level of them and they want to move to Manchester City. And you know that Klopp really likes the look of Saka. City seem to like Saka. Klopp also loves Martinelli, all that stuff. So it is a concern. It's just wild to me, Harry, that and you might be right. I don't know. But it's just wild to me that that, you know, Arsenal have these wonderful players. They have really good players, some of them. You know, five or six of them are absolutely excellent. And they're just not quite good enough. It, it just doesn't make sense but I kind of well, it, kinda I does. Mean, it does but it doesn't but then I think narrative is a big thing about that as well so I don't want to be disrespectful Odegaard I, I think Saka is a top level talent I really do I think he is someone that is worthy of the praise he gets I know he's had a bit of a rough time recently but he's worthy of the praise but Odegaard Eating is a fantastic yeah, yeah exactly yeah Odegaard is a fantastic player um, Martinelli is a fantastic player Martinelli scored like two goals in 24 games alright so they're good players but hang on we're talking about the top here, you know, like, are they as good as they're being perceived to be? You know, generally speaking, Madrid, as far as I'm aware, don't make too many mistakes selling elite level talent, you know. Um, so, yes, they're very good players, but are they the next calibre of player? The one that, I mean, look at the Man City. To, to play that, I think we agree that to play this style of football, right, that, you know, you have to be pretty good to to do it and, and keep doing it and keep being successful. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you start playing that style of football and you're not elite, you basically end up causing yourself more trouble than it's worth because you give right. the ball away in really dangerous areas and create transitions against yourself. Like it's, it's the stuff that you see, like when Bournemouth come up under Eddie Howe and try to yeah. play City off the park and they end up getting pumped every single time. Yeah, exactly. Guardiola sits there and goes, oh, Bournemouth, what a wonderful team. They play football the right way. Yeah, they play the right, yeah. for, right way for you, mate. Um, yeah. I, I, it's, you're right. The the edges oh my god they're so sharp on the in this game and when you when it doesn't go quite right in that in that high risk style it is a problem and yes Arsenal had some rough results this season but I guess I'm a bit more optimistic than you there Harry I guess I am I just think I think I don't think there's anything wrong with I think it's just they're sort of still going down the same route of the same stuff so it's like okay let's say Odegaard's one of your best players Vieira's very good, but you've just signed him. You've got huge flaws. I mean, they're talking about signing Lisandro Martinez, who's five foot nine, and they've already spent fifty million pounds on Ben White, who, you know, doesn't have great defensive instincts. 
you know, as a centre-back partnership, let's be real here. You can talk about the way you want to play all you want, but you're going to go up against top-level teams. They're going to, you know, the likes of even, let's say, Brentford, Ivan Tony, he's going to lick his lips at playing against that centre-back partnership, as will a lot of, you know, Callum Wilson. He ran, he ran um, the Arsenal backline ragged, you know. So I don't have any issue with, like, you know, like having your way of playing, but there has to be a variety of profiles. And at the moment, I just don't see that they're sort of like realising the issues they might have. I think this is a really interesting one. And actually to take it on to City and, and, and take it away from there for, for a second, I've been talking about this with a couple of people, but mostly Stephen McInerney on, on Twitter. And he was saying what he's really intrigued by is, yes, there's a potential that City lose two wingers who have, you know, in Sterling and, and Jesus, who've contributed so much to the team in terms of goals, in terms of output. Um, but the way of playing for City might well change with the, with the, you know, the addition of Erling Haaland because it gives you that extra dimension. And, and that's perhaps it, right? Pep has seen what he's done and what he's built here and gone, right, people might well start be starting to just about work out how to deal with this. What we'll do is completely flip that. And suddenly what they'll do is they'll let they'll let City stand off them and they'll let them throw crosses in. Holland will score a hat-trick and then teams will go like, okay, right, we can't do that. We'll have to push out to teams in order that we can stop these crosses. And suddenly you're back in behind again where you were beforehand. And being able to kind of change that up and mix it up is kind of the development of this side under Pep and the development of the City side whereas there are there is an element and I do agree with this there is an element of one dimensionality to this Arsenal team even if that dimension I think is probably a bit harder for me than it is for you you have to adapt every great team has had to adapt in some ways otherwise eventually you get worked out you know you're, you're playing against them with top level talent if they know what you're going to do they can figure it out and you know, eventually work out how to stop you or, you know, so listen, like, uh, this isn't me being sort of against this style of football. Uh, you know, I, I don't have any issues with style of football. You can play any style of football you want, but I'm just looking at it realistically thinking, okay, well, what do Arsenal want to achieve? And is, are they going about the right way? Maybe, maybe they are. Maybe, maybe, you know, they've, he's been given a war chest. So maybe he's a war chest. We need a we need a siren for that. Um one thing I, I've definitely taken from this uh to, to wrap it up is I'd actually forgotten or maybe maybe not realized how quickly someone like Antonio Conte on two occasions and Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool have switched those clubs around. Um yeah. I'd forgotten that that Conte had taken Chelsea from like eighth to first, although obviously no European football helps. But Spurs, he's done it immediately. Uh he's hit the brief and Klopp's Liverpool did. Did you just say Spursy? No, Spurs. you just said Spurs. You didn't you? No, unbelievable. You did, didn't you? You've done that no. to me. Uh, and Klopp's, um, Klopp's Liverpool, very like it, within eighteen months they were they were back, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. I, I I hadn't quite anticipated or appreciated just how quickly those guys had turned those things around, and you do need to make those big leaps and big strikes, don't you? So even even someone who technically didn't do that well, I mean. It, wasn't it just after one? Didn't Jose Mourinho get Man United back in the Champions League after one season or something? I, I, I don't know. So, you know, I, I might be wrong there, but yeah, it, I don't. I don't know a manager actually that's been given as long as maybe until Fergie before I was born, but as long as you know the three years to to still not get to where they want to get to in the modern day. But you know what? Fair play to Arsenal. They're going to go for that and they're going to do that. So. You know, let's see yeah, what we, we, of, we often criticise clubs for being too trigger happy. So it's in, in some ways it's refreshing yeah, to see no, yeah, you know, a point. project being given time to breathe. But equally, yeah. I can, can see I can see in the context of where that is to different clubs. But it would be nice to see. Would it. Yeah, it, it would be nice to see that um, way of working work in the sense of well, let's actually 
play long term. Let's try and build something. Let's show that you can do it this way rather than being trigger happy. It would be nice to see that work. So, yeah, best of luck to them. I just think there has to be a bit more variety. Okay, indeed. Well, let's go to number two then, Harry. Uh, yeah, I think Eric Ten Hag and Bruno Fernandes are going to, uh, let's just say, lock horns a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, it's, I'm, I'm, I actually, I'm going to be so fascinated with what he does with this team. I, I can't think of a team and a manager coming in that I've been more interested uh, to see how he tries to get it to work because, you know, the, the thing about Ajax historically and also under Ten Hag um They've always wanted balance in possession. They've wanted things to feel the connections everywhere. And this Man United team is as separate as a top tier team could be. You know, there is no connection. There is no balance. You know, everyone was eulogising about their um, their transfer window last summer. And um, it was, for me, it was like a, a kid playing FIFA 21. Let's sign, let's sign the best player there. Let's sign the best player there. Uh, I have no idea how it works going to be put together, but let's just sign them anyway. Um, so, you know, and I, I've, I've only seen Ten Hag's team play live once. It was, I've seen them play, but I mean in person. Um, and I was there for the game in the first leg versus, um, when they play Spurs in the Champions League semi-final. And I can't think of a game when I've seen such a gap in terms of domination. They completely just, Spurs had no answers. How it was just 1-0, I don't know. And a part of that was the connections and the fluidity throughout the pitch. You know, players having an element of freedom, but this is where we do. We know what we're going to do and we're going to play this way. Bruno Fernandes is the opposite of that. He is, Ten Hag could be working on this combination plays, overloads and triangles and things like that and thinking, all right, now the ball goes to Fernandes, right, now let's make the extra pass all of a sudden he's hit the ball from 30 yards out and it's going to Rosehead. <laughs> he's that kind of well, character. It might, gone, mate, it might have gone top corner. That's, that's the and thing. It might have gone top corner and it's one of those. But that's not one, the point. Yeah, It's yeah. one of those. It's, it's the, so, and I, I actually like players like that, but the problem you have with players like that, and as you saw this year, you have to be, your numbers have to be so good. You have to be so consistent with your output. Otherwise, you're a hindrance for your team. So when he first joined Man United, his numbers and his influence was incredible. So of course he should be able to go and do that. But as you saw last year, I'm not just blaming him, the last year was a mess, but he was a hindrance to Man United. He was an actual hindrance. He he was the, the constant trying that pass, the, the difference-making pass, the difference-making shot, even things like, you know, in uh, versus Arsenal, taking the penalty off Ronaldo or Ronaldo let him have it like, what, 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 what is this? No. And Ten Hag is all about the team, all about the connections, all about the combinations. You know, you saw how good Van der Beek was under him, a player that gets that to a tee. And I think that, I mean, listen, I think that it's one of those where either one of them is going to have to make allowances either way. Um, and good coaching, in my opinion, is making allowances for your best players. But I think Fernandes is going to have to go and make some allowances himself as well. Yeah, it's the it's the word of the week for Ranks FC. It's compromise. Um, yeah, it's co- yeah, compromise we've, been, yeah. we've been talking about with uh, Romelu Lukaku and Thomas Tuchel on TikTok this week, yeah. and how yeah, there yeah. was there was zero compromise from either party, and that is essentially why it has, has failed as a tactical uh, match. Lukaku wants to play one way, Tuchel wants to play another. They uh, didn't they didn't meet in the middle for nine months, and now. Well, one's off, and that's how it, that's how it can be sometimes. And even for the very best players, even for for players that cost a hundred million, it can go completely and utterly wrong if yeah. there is no compromise. So, it fascinates me too. It really does. I mean, it, let's not pretend that Bruno can't isn't capable of 
um, fostering these connections and being part of this because yeah. he, he obviously can. He's an, an exceptional footballer. And when he plays as the number 10, he often drifts over to the left-hand side and combines, you know, an overloads with Luke Shaw, nice little combination yeah. play. Like he can do it. He likes to drift into pockets, pick up the ball, move it along. It's just that at the end of those, you know, when it comes to the the, the final decision, often he is like, oh, shall I have a go? Uh, 25 yards. Oh, shall I have a go? I'm going to bend it towards the goal. And there is an impetuousness to his play, which is really charming. But I can imagine as well, I agree with you here for sure, Eric Ten Hag is going to find it a little bit perplexing. And the problem for Bruno here is that he plays in the same team as Donny now. And Donny yeah. will do exactly what Eric Ten Hag yeah, wants. Yeah. So Bruno is going to have this obvious uh, contrasting example right next to him in training the entire time. And it's going to be a really interesting thing to watch as Eric Ten Hag gets his, uh, wraps his mind around this as he has two completely like polar opposite number 10s and he gets to choose between them every week. And let's see, let's see what he, th- what he makes of it all. But also if you have, to, if you, if, if Ten Hag had, had the base structure of a team that he liked, you could maybe put Fernandes on top of that. But the problem is the rest is a mess as well. There's no balance. It's like, Let's say you play four three three. You know, you know what I'm like. I'm not really into like the they can't play formations. four three three, Harry. You know that. Right, right. So it's like, so, so who's playing where? Who, who's? I know they're trying to go for Frankie. So is it going to be Frankie with McTominay? Frankie with Fred and Bruno Fernandes on top of them? Is that Van der Beek going to play off the coming in from the left? Is he going to play as, uh, as a weird eight? I just, I, I can't in my head see how he's going to marry it together. Um, so it's not just Bruno Fernandes. It's the fact that he has that about him which might wind up Ten Hag. And then on top of that, no balance elsewhere. So it's not even like he's got all the pieces fitted together. And then Fernandes is just on top of that now with someone like, okay, he'll wind me up every now and again, but at least he can be that, um, you know, the, the the difference maker. So I'm, I'm really fascinated. I'm not going to say it won't work, but I think we, I think would it really surprise anyone if they clashed heads and, and it's, it's, it's not a match made in heaven. I think there's something really interesting in the fact that you know, Bruno Fernandes at Sporting was the main man. The team was hardwired around him and he did brilliantly because they, he was allowed to do those things that he wanted. When he arrived at Manchester United, he was seen as this kind of saviour figure. The team was hardwired around him. He did really well. Suddenly this season, the team is no longer hardwired around him and things fall off a cliff somewhat. And I think there's probably something in that, in that there's only so many mavericks you can have. And and like you say, you know, to flip it back to what you said before, you do need players who can mix it up, who, you know, occasionally are going to just whack one from 30 yards because they have excellent long range shooting, because it means that teams then have to come out and try and press you and you can open different avenues up to play. But I do wonder if there's an, an issue here in that it's not that United already have a way of playing and he is the, you know, the maverick in there. It's just the fact that there is just lots of different disparate parts that somehow need to be fed together. And having someone who's going to break down those passages of play when you're trying to instill them is a worry. Mm. Like I said, like Sam said, of course he can do it. You know, we've seen he can do it, but it's just that his first instinct is to be like, let's make the difference now. Um, someone like Conte would probably love him in a sense, like, you know, that hitting things early, hitting the, the direct ball early or whatever it might be. But yeah, someone that prefers the more, well, let's be a bit patient with it um, if it needs to be. Let's build it. Let's let's work the opposition. Um, yeah, I can see there being a clash there. 
But then again, could end up with egg on my face and Bruno Fernandes becomes player of the year next year. So uh, it's, let's see. It's always risky to doubt exceptional footballers. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, but I do it for a living, mate. So you'd be right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, I hate goal scorers that score goals. You can't get any worse than me. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's yeah, on, your ongoing hate relationship with uh, Chiro Mobile has caused us many issues <laughs> down the line. Yeah, um, yeah, as yeah. he wins Capocan in the area yeah. after Capocan in the area. Yeah, but, um, yeah. alas. Um, and with that, Harry, it might be time to move on to number one. Yeah, I mean, speaking of doubting like the best, uh, every time I've come onto this program, Liverpool fans have just hated my guts, which is really annoying because they've been my favourite club to watch in the last few years. They really, genuinely have. But um, I guess the I guess the, the the simple way to say it, which I don't think is that controversial, I think that the I think we can see I think we can see a drop off next year. Now again. It, but going against a Klopp and the mindset of that team is a brave man. But I do think we'll see a bit of a drop-off. How big that is, I don't know. But I think a part of that as well is because of the lack of... Um, there hasn't really been too much change, um, you know, at the club recently. And the drop-off, not just in terms of ability, but in terms of stylistic fit from, you know, Mane to Nunes, I think is quite big. Um, and... I think there will be a reason as to why we see uh, a bit of a drop-off from them. Again, I don't know what that looks like. Um, now, listen, they could end up this time next week sign Jude Bellingham out of the blue. And then, okay, my entire point is out the window. But, you know, the, the rumours are that this is it now. It's done. He's leaving yeah, the midfield. Yeah, there's been suggestions that they're not going to be looking to add to midfield. Um, and obviously, they've, and they've, made their, they've made their move up front. Calvin Ramsey's in it right back for depth. They've got their centre backs. There's no really you know, Costa Simicas is the best backup left back in the world. Um, there's no there's nowhere else for them to look. Uh, they don't need it unless there's Salah been rumours has... that they've been offered Genie Wijnaldum on loan back from PSG as a one year stopgap. <laughs> which to be honest, which to be honest, I don't really mind because if it is a one year stopgap, it allows them to give to fill that time to let Bellingham have another year at Dortmund where he's getting minutes in in every single game and you're not having to rotate him. Um, and then you can kind of look at that next summer after you've already made a big outlay. This one. If that is the option that they're going down, I don't blame them for doing so. True. But right now, it looks like, well, we don't have... That's it. It feels like Liverpool summer. what we've got. Yeah, yeah Liverpool it summer looks like they're not bringing down that. Might be done. So, for me, they're going to be worse the next last year. And it's, again, I've spoken all the time about how you need to refresh. Uh, now, Klopp is an absolute masterful uh, at man management and motivation. So, maybe you can keep getting it from these lads and they can keep doing it. But... You know, we have seen before that it can, you know, dissipate. You know, it happened with Dortmund at the end. They didn't turn into a bad team all of a sudden. It's just the players and club or whatever couldn't take any more. Um, and I think that, you know, let's, let's so let's look at, you know, one of the reasons why I'm saying this, which is Darwin Nunes, right? I really rate Darwin Nunes. I like him a lot. I like his style of play in the sense of like, like a bulldog. He can play across anywhere in the front line. He can produce from coming in from the right, the centre, left, um, that's really hard to find. And that's something that Mane had. You know, when you think about it, players that can produce from all across the pitch, really hard to find. Um, even Mo Salah only really produces for the same areas of the pitch. You know, no, can he produce from the left? Who knows? Um, so, okay, he has that to I him. I actually don't know. I've never seen him play that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, he has he has that to him. Uh, Darwin knows he can do that, which is great. But the problem is, is that um, his first touch at the best times is relatively poor. Um, he doesn't have any kind of uh, rhythm change, uh, a tempo change to his game. It is very much let's go now, um, which is great if there's space to hit. 
But the problem is, is that I can't see how Liverpool are going to be able to sustain any kind of connectivity and pressure in the final third next season for a sustained period of time. It's going to be attack immediately. And if it breaks down, let's press on the second ball. But for the top teams that Liverpool are, obviously, that are playing against teams that are going to try to sit back and do things and clog the pitch, you're going to have to be able to you know, retain the ball in dangerous areas for a certain period of time. It can't just be attack now and then second balls. And I think losing Mane and getting Nunes, Mane wasn't like, you know, a complete connectivity player, but he certainly was a lot better. He was the best one in their front three, apart from Firmino, who sort of like seemed more like coming to the end of his Liverpool time, it seems, as a starter. He was the best one in providing combination play in the final third amongst those. He connects and play. He could stay on the ball. Liverpool, other than Firmino, now doesn't have a forward that can stay on the ball. They don't have a forward that can stay on the ball. So it's immediate attacks and second phase, you know, counter-pressing or nothing. Um, now, again, could be left with egg on my face, but there has to be some element of connection. And maybe Firmino gets brought back in, which I guess could help. I know that, Sam, you suggested 4-2-3-1, which I'm not too sure about because, you know, 4-2-3-1 can be, again, I don't like using the word formations, but it can be quite, it can end up becoming quite a flat formation. And I know that and Liverpool don't really have midfielders that, other than Thiago, that likes to stay on the ball. But Thiago, when he's sort of playing like that, he's on a very different rhythm to what Liverpool usually are. Usually Liverpool are like, can we attack immediately? And Thiago's like, well, let's not do that. So I just think there's sort of those lack of connections that, you know, I don't quite see how it's going to... I don't see how they're going to stay to the same level, I'll be honest. Um but Nunes can come in and absolutely fly from the start and just they could just end up just running through teams and just absolutely incessantly pounding on them. So I don't know. Well we all we all like Darwin Nunez. We're all fans of him. Yeah. But, yeah. but I think I don't I would struggle to look at anybody with a straight face if they tried to deny that going from Sadio Mane to Darwin is a isn't a downgrade. Like it just it just is. Like they've got the personnel on the forward line have got worse. Now there's a long it's a long, game. It's a long term, yeah. It, but it, but it immediately it yeah. makes you slightly worse. It changes, it changes your profile as well, right? Yeah. But Man- Mane was was well. I mean, he, actually, the first half of last season he wasn't that great, and he was reborn again as a number nine. It was fantastic, and it's such a shame to lose him. Darwin, in you know, coming in, he's got he'll have six to eight years or so at his um at his probably at, at a really high level here for Liverpool. So it's a it's a it's a situation where they're trying to to retool and rebuild a little bit. While, while maintaining a top level, which is really difficult. That's kind of why I see a 4-2-3-1 maybe coming back in. That's why I kind of see a revival for Firmino because if you are asking Darwin to step in and, and, and Liverpool to maintain like a 95-point average per season, that is really hard. But if you go back to Firmino, you might get a bit more familiarity. You might get something a bit a little, a little bit extra out of these players and you might just lessen the immediate bur- burden on Darwin. And that might, by proxy, improve those connections, which I hadn't really considered, Harry. Um, Firmino would absolutely improve those connections. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, my main, my main, my main argument in favour of the idea that you know Liverpool would drop off a little bit next season is they've got worse. Literally, have just there are worse team today than they were uh, than they than they were last week. Yeah. yeah, but that might happen, like you said. Maybe Firmino does come back in, and now the connections are there, and now it's just posing players other teams a different problem. So even though they're technically worse off as uh, in terms of players. 
maybe they can maintain it because now they're just causing different teams different problems because now Firmino's back in the picture now they've got another issue in Darwin Nunes but I just think it looks a little bit uncomfortable with the way that again put it this way Firmino Firmino I think for it to work is going to have to become a huge player again for Liverpool next year now do Liverpool want to be in a stage where they're relying on that I'm not too sure um is there an element there of you if they do go to this 4-2-3-1? And I know we're talking so many hypotheticals here, um, but you're putting Firmino in as that kind of link 10, right? Theoretically, um, which allows you to play Darwin. It allows you to play Luis Diaz. It allows you to play Mo Salah. Um, yes, you're starting to rely a little bit too much on Firmino, but is that a long-term solution to therefore you bring it, you start to feed Fabio Carvalho into that mix and you make him the long-term successor. Um, and, and then you do have a long-term 10 looking to step up and be that link player because he was that link player for Fulham last year. He was the player that made it all tick in there, the player that allowed Mitrovic to reach the heights he's done, the player that allowed Harry Wilson to get get wide and make make those kind of incisive runs from out to in. Um, it was all because Carvalho is a ball carrier and a link man. And that would give Liverpool something different. Yes, but I don't think Liverpool had the profile of midfielders just to play two of them. I think for me, Fabinho could... But it's been a bit of a while. I mean, that Monaco set was a bit different. I know he did. He, he played as a number it, eight quite. Well, it was four. It was four four two at Monaco, yeah. and, Mon- and Fabinho was was next to someone else. It was actually right. back Yoko and Fabinho a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, and that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, Henderson, you can't be reliant upon a, a, a two eights now. He's not good enough on the ball, and he's getting older. Um, Thiago, I know you gave me the example, Sam, that you know he played as a as a, one of the two in the four two three one. Um, in was it Champions League final? Yeah, uh, well, for Bayern, you know, next to Kimmich, he was really, they were really good, man. Yeah, but then again, that Bayern team was set up on all being in the same rhythm of each other. This is about Liverpool are a more you know gung ho team. Thiago is in a different rhythm. I don't think Thiago would be playing as one of the eights in this. Um, Kate is probably the only one that could. Uh, so I don't know if that's going to work for their midfield going back to four two three one. Well, Harry, at least they've got lots of different profiles, which is what's wrong with Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. I'm not going to argue with that. They've got lots but of then, different you know, options. Yeah, but they're going to also make sure have to make sure their press is on the front foot as well and and, and wins the ball because otherwise, you know, I've seen it a lot how often, you know, Van Dijk and Kanate have to sort of like be managing counter-attacks on their own. So now taking out another midfielder makes that even more space in front of them. So I don't know if that suits it. I mean, I know Sam, you sort of... Um, so we discussed it before that you know obviously let's say you stick to the four-three-three, and Firmino comes back in as the false nine fine I said to you then I suggested Fabio Carvalho as the false nine because it wouldn't happen straight away for obvious reasons but actually that would provide far better connections in my opinion and balance to a front three than a front three of let's say Nunes uh, Diaz and uh, Salah that I don't think would provide much connections whereas if you've got Carvalho as a I don't like the term but as a false nine and then you've got either Nunes or Diaz flanking in one side, Salah or Hotter the other side. That actually has more of a balance to it. Um, but obviously that's not going to happen immediately. But Yeah, it seems like a lot on young shoulders that Fab- yeah. uh, Fabio Carvalho. Welcome to the Premier yeah. League. Why don't you come play a false nine for Liverpool? Um, Liverpool lost two games in the league last year and got 92 points. So whenever we say Liverpool have got a little bit worse or they've taken maybe a step back or maybe maybe there's a, there's a bit of a drop-off, it's all relative. Um, no one is predicting, I, I assume, because we're all sane people, no one is expecting Liverpool here to drop out of the top four or anything dire like that. But 92 points and just two losses is an extremely high bar. So 
Harry, what do you think in terms of like the drop off? What does that literally mean for Liverpool? Is it a case of six? Is it like an eighty-six point season and four losses rather than two? Like, what's the context? I think it, honestly, I think it is. I think yeah, I would probably say you're more looking at that sort of eighty-five to to ninety, which is still incredible, but probably not going to win tough, the league. Tough times, eh? Eighty-five. Point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're probably <laughs> not going to win the league. Um, you know, probably not going to win the league with that. Well, so, the thing is, right. is, you know, we talk about Mane and Nunes and the and the 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 drop off or the, the the compromise there between the two, not the compromise, the um, the, the trade off. Um, City have signed Erling Haaland. Like Erling Haaland is better than Darwin Nunez, and that, that's 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 really what makes this incredibly difficult as a title to win here. But also, Sam, and and I'm not, and I would I would never predict this, but. There's also no saying. There's no be able. To, we, we're not from the outside. We're not going to be able to tell if and when a serious like I can't take it anymore happens because it's happened before. Dortmund and Klopp, it happened, you know. And then I think eventually they would like it's like a relegation battle for like a bit of the season. Then they ended up getting tenth or something, or maybe yeah. a bit higher than that. It was um, a bad yeah. season, really. It was bad. a bad season, and it happened with uh, Pochettino and Spurs just can't take it anymore. Not enough has changed and not enough refreshment, you know, because look at what Liverpool and Klopp and and the players themselves, look at what they demand for themselves. Where does it keep going? Where do you keep getting that that extra energy from, from without that change, without that change of voice? You know, that's why Fergie, we said, I said it one the first time I went onto your podcast, that's why Fergie, one of the reasons, the main reason probably why Fergie was able to keep going for so long. There was, there was they refreshed whether it's the staff, assistant managers, or or the style of play of the team. Yeah, he changes um, assistant manager a lot, didn't he? A lot, loads. Yeah. There was loads of them. McLaren, Walter Smith, Kirosh, uh, Mullenstein was a bit for it, I think, as well. Loads. Um, you know, whereas with Liverpool, generally speaking, it's the same voices, same styles usually, which again shows what a master Klopp is to be able to have still got the same application and quality from this group. But would it surprise you if, if it just got to a stage where it's like, the players were just like, I can't take it anymore. And, the, and then even the manager was like, I can't take it anymore. It's kind of like, it's come to the end. So that lack of refreshing in certain areas is 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 a worry for me. Part of me did think this. And then I, and part of me was a little bit surprised when Klopp signed that new contract, because I kind of thought he might just be like, yeah, I've taken this to, you know, that levels that no one could have even possibly thought. Um, and therefore I'm going to walk out on it. Um but I mean that that maybe it suggests that he believes that there's plenty more in this tank. So in which case, you know, I'm I'm not going to jump on that. Um, I think I can completely see where you're coming from, but I'd be surprised if it happened this season. Um, but on that, I would love them to win the league next year because it would just show what an incredible. I mean, obviously we know already, but for them to have the drop off that we've seen in terms of quality and losing a huge player like Mane, not revamping that midfield, and you know, has been the same manager, same voice for a while. And then actually go and win the league again against a city that have got Haaland and Alvarez and that it would be what an incredible achievement that would be. So I really do hope they win the league next year. I just right now I don't see it. If if that's right. a attempt to keep Liverpool fans off your back, mate. <laughs> yeah, please. I don't I, I don't need anything in my DMs. I really don't. <laughs> I don't hate you. I just think yeah. this. Yeah, I just think you're only going to get 86 honestly, points yeah. next year, okay? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, honestly, I do genuinely mean that. I like they've been my favourite team to watch the last few years anywhere in Europe I just I just and I would love them for them to do it just to show and they're kind of a little bit like Arsenal it's like it would be nice to see the team be successful doing it this way in like Arsenal earlier like you know the long term project that it can work and 
Liverpool that, okay, right, we are slightly worse off, but we can still do it, boys. It would be great to see rather than just, okay, Man City, all right, well, I'll just buy the best striker in the world then and I'll just buy another one to go with him as a superstar and I'll buy Cucurella at left back now as well. And just, it's just a bit dull. It's a bit like samey, samey. So I would love to see that happen, but I'm not too sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and, and on that kind of last plea for don't get in Harry's DMs, we're going uh, <laughs> to call this segment a day. Um, Harry, thank you so much for coming back. It's been a real pleasure as always. Uh, where always. can people find you? Uh, Not literally, on uh, the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at window now. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a protest. Um, it's like Richard Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, my Twitter is, hang on, it's HB underscore head coach. Uh, Follow it if you want. Doesn't really bother me, to be fair. So yeah, don't <laughs> you don't have to plug me. It's fine, mate. But yeah, Harry gets loads of. He just he ends up with loads of random spare forty-minute periods of his life where he's not doing anything, where he's waiting for stuff, and he does Q and A's. Uh, yeah. They're actually they're actually quite illuminating because it's a good way of weeding out the 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 people on Twitter that clearly have absolutely no idea what they're on about. So the replies <laughs> you get are hilarious. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is funny. Every now and again, like, I do enjoy it. To be fair, I do enjoy Twitter. I like, obviously get the idiots, but I do enjoy it now and again. So yeah, when I've got a spare twenty minutes waiting for the next session, I'll do a little Q and A. But uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, that makes me sound like really cocky. Like people wouldn't even care about my, my opinion. But no, I do enjoy it. So um, yeah, no, no, thanks always. You know, you guys invite me back on. Um, yeah, I'll always be uh, available for you guys. Uh, Avid listener every single week, even the Patreon. So, uh, yeah. Nice one. Although you, yeah, it was hard last oldest. week. Last <laughs> night, two, two hour long episodes. That was a long listen. Oh. We, uh, <laughs> yeah, sat, sat, I, Dean's not here tapping his watch at us, so everything runs over now. I, um, I, I like football, but I think you two take that to another level. I mean, <laughs> your poor missus, come on. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard life, mate, but somebody's yeah. got to do it. Um, Harry, yeah. thank you so much for coming oh, on again. You. you are now officially this podcast most, uh, the biggest guest that has ever been on it. So that's a, that's a, quite the achievement. And uh, I, I would imagine that we'll have you back on before too long again. <laughs> always, always. No, I appreciate it, fellas. Thanks very much. Right, don't go anywhere. After the break, we've got a medal of the week and, of course, the gibberish rankings. Welcome back to Ranks FC. And first and foremost, thank you so much to Harry for joining us. That was enlightening, Sam. It's always brilliant to have him on the pod. A healthy dose of pessimism to start your Wednesday. <laughs> this is, it's, it's basically because Ranks has become such an optimistic podcast. We're like, oh, everyone's great, aren't they? Yeah, um, yeah. It's good to get Harry to keep us in line every so often about how excited we are um, for every team. Um, but you'll have noticed that Dean isn't on this podcast, um, which means that I'm taking over duties and it's time for Melon of the Week. And this week's Melon of the Week comes straight from Canada. Um, and I'd like to give a shout out to our patron, Simon Connolly, for sending this in because this really made me chuckle. Um, and I'm going to read out Simon's uh, post about, well, he just says, I would just like to highlight some very melonish behavior coming from Canada this week. Canadian cities have been making bids to FIFA to host games for the 2026 World Cup. But the leader of Alberta demanded in there is that Edmonton get to host at least five out of the 10 games given to Canada and that they also get two round of 32 or round of 16 games. Edmonton was subsequently shut out of the World Cup altogether. Absolute <laughs> melon. Oh, no. What's Imagine. the phrase they use? Overreaching, is it? You, you, you've overreached, my friend. It's yeah. just one of those. You're like, oh, God, real real bad vibes. I know. So Canada got 10 games at the end, didn't they? And it was, uh, I think it was Vancouver that got five or six. Um, yeah. 
which is you know and, and Vancouver's like an absolutely huge like a huge it's a, a very popular place it's a huge city it's got great footballing facilities it's the absolute perfect kind of place that you would give five or six games to including knockout games I'm not sure we can necessarily say the same about um Edmonton Alberta and unfortunately uh, the person in charge of this campaign has kind of ruined it for everyone around. So, yeah. yeah. So, Jason Kenny, you are Melon of the Week, not Sir Jason Kenny of Olympic cycling fame. Jason Kenny, Alberta Premier, uh, Melon of the Week this week. And thank you to Simon Conley for bringing that to our attention. It's the gibberish alarm, Sam. Yeah, do you know what is a bunch of gibberish nowadays, Jack? Trying, trying to get anywhere in England via any form of transport link. What a mess this country is. A lot of people listening won't know about this, uh, be from overseas or abroad or maybe just not reading the newspaper. But um, right now, you trying to get anywhere in England or the UK is a total and utter nightmare. We've got three main forms of transport and they're all broken. None of them work. We've got the rail lines. This is a kind of a ranking, but not really. But if you want, at three, we have the rail lines who are on strike for half of this week. Uh, the other half of the time, the trains don't even work anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, oh, I actually I disagree with this. The trains have been great recently. I joined on the Elizabeth line. Is 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 the Lizzie line? The Lizzie line is, time is so like I, obviously love the Lizzie line. I also, just like to point put on record that I am fully behind this strike, even if it is uh, even if it is actually fully disrupting my day. Mm. Um, you know, I've, yeah, I feel like it's a good thing. You know, I think, the I think working conditions the, are a good thing. I think for the most part, when people are striking, it means that they are facing really quite terrible working conditions, and it's probably fair enough. Um, this one's about uh, hours and pensions and pay. It's nearly always about that sort of thing, but it is disrupting half the country or most of the country for half of the week, um, and it is making it is making getting around very, very difficult. I've got to um, take a taxi to Glastonbury because the trains aren't working. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, uh, it's it's okay. It's all Dude, right. There's six of us, so, so it's relatively far. split. Um, <laughs> so but yeah, it's oh a long God. way for a taxi. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's incredible. I mean, yeah, the train. So is that Thursday or the Saturday? That's the Thursday. The Thursday, yeah. yeah. So we've got train strikes Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday at the moment, and uh, everything is on fire. Um, so okay, fine. We won't take the train. We'll take the car instead. No, you won't, because fuel is about as expensive as I think I have ever seen it. So at number two, it's the price of fuel. Now, obviously, we know why this has happened, and it's not in our control, but uh, it's approximately £2 per litre for a, for a, a gallon of petrol, sorry, litre of petrol um, in the UK. Now, our American followers, just to let you know, that is about $2.50 for a litre of petrol. I'm sure that will make you want to scratch your eyeballs out because gas, as you call it for some reason, uh, is much, much, much cheaper typically over in the US. And we're currently paying $2.50 for a litre of petrol. So if you actually do want to go somewhere in the car, you need to think quite clearly about it. And you probably need to drive a bit slower. So just for all you out there, just in case you didn't know, 63 miles per hour optimum motorway speed. Stick it in cruise control on 63. That's the best way to preserve. I, I hope my uh, taxi driver is listening to this because I don't want to cruise the whole way at 63. I'd like to get there <laughs> as fast as possible, please. It is quite far for you as well. So that would take absolutely ages. So, okay, fine. We won't go anywhere in the UK. You know what? The whole of the UK is on fire. Let's go abroad. No, you won't. You won't be taking any planes anywhere because half of them are cancelled and the other half are overbooked. 
Oh my goodness me. Also, you might not even get to book a flight because your passport might be 16 weeks in the mail. We've had a problem with that too. Massive delays on the passport office, which has caused absolute carnage. Loads of people missing holidays and flights because their passport hasn't arrived. If they do get a flight, it's liable to be cancelled or moved or shifted. And sometimes you turn up and actually, turns out, we overbooked this flight by 50 people. And unfortunately, you don't actually have a ticket. Well, yes, I do. I paid for it. No, I'm sorry. You're going to have to take another flight. One of Rachel's friends. There isn't the another fly. Yeah, one of Rachel's friends the other day, they got to they got to the gate and were told that the flight had been overbooked by 50 seats on purpose, mind you, because that's what uh, airlines do. They, they overbook them. But to this extent, I'm not sure if that's fair. And they uh, they said if if not if 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 not enough of you volunteer to take another flight, we're going to cancel the last 50 people that checked in. And you can't fly. That's how they decided to do it. They went back through the logs. And the last 50 people that checked in for the flight, probably the people that turned off the airport and did it, weren't allowed to fly. Not a good way of doing business, my people. No, not good. Um, stay at home. Enjoy the sunshine. That's my uh, big takeaway from, from from what you've just said there. We'll really. get a taxi to um, Glastonbury. We'll get a taxi to Glastonbury. Look, needs must. Needs must. Um, I can't wait for next week's gibberish to come from direct from Glastonbury. So that's uh, that's, oh, that's, one for you to, that's one for you to be excited about next week. Um, and on that bombshell, I think we're going to call this a day. Um, and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Harry Brooks uh, for his wonderful main ranking. Thank you very much to the rank this is Sam Tsai. Cheers, mate. I'm going to sit still for the next week, not going anywhere. Absolutely. Uh, thank you to me. Um, I'm Jack Hollis. Thank this you is Rank <laughs> Look, I think sometimes it's important to thank yourself for uh, yeah. for working hard this week. Um, mm. Right, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We really do appreciate it. If you do fancy more from Sam and I and Dean over the course of this summer, um, the link to the Patreon is in the description. Two extra episodes minimum a week. This time it's just three because Sam and I went mad. Um, but, but there's loads of great content on there and a brilliant access to our wonderful Discord server as well where everybody's chatting football all the time. It's it's a great place to be and a wonderful community in there so please do come and give it a go and see if you fancy it if that's up your street thank you so much for listening if not we will see you next wednesday on ranks fc have wonderful weekends everyone take it easy peace and thanks to george cooper the producer